Scripture reading will be from Luke chapter 23 and verses 44 through 47. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour, because the sun was obscured and the veil of the temple was torn to. And Jesus, crying with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what happened, he began praising God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. invite you to be taking out your Bibles and be turning to Luke's Gospel in Luke chapter 23, where we will be studying this morning. We are thankful for the opportunity and the providence of God to care for us and watch over us, to allow us this opportunity to be together this Lord's Day, to worship God as we have been singing songs of praise and our worship to God. As we have been offering our prayers and petitions, we are so thankful that we have that available to us. We're thankful for the opportunity as well to open up God's Word and to reflect on some things that are important for us to think about. As we have been engaged throughout this year a series on the seven sayings of Jesus while on the cross. And this morning we are going to consider the last and the final statement that Jesus made on the cross. There is what is traditionally offered as the uh, order of the sayings whenever Jesus was on the cross from about 9 a.m. until 12 p.m. Whenever He said in Luke chapter 23, in which Luke's Gospel, He actually records three of the seven sayings in Luke uh, 23 and in verse 34, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And then he said, truly to the thief, he said, truly, I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. In John's gospel, he said, behold your mother to the apostle whom he loved, in which he was giving charge to care for his mother after Jesus would be departing from this life. Then there was the period of silence for about three hours during the darkness where in the middle of the day, the brightest part of the day, completely and utterly dark, as we read in Luke chapter 23 and in verse 44, it was now about the sixth hour and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. And after that, Jesus cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A little while later, he cried out for thirst. Then he made the statement, it is finished. And all of these statements that he has made. It contains a word of forgiveness, a word of hope to the thief, a word of affection that he was caring for his mother, a word of despair, feeling forsaken, a word of suffering, needing just something cold to drink. It is finished, a 
sound and a song of victory. Jesus had come to accomplish everything that He had come to do. And because of that, you have it, the last statement. When Jesus said, Father, into Your hands I commit My Spirit. Having said this, He breathed His last. While Jesus was on the cross, there were some signs that God was putting on full display. The darkness over the land, the temple veil being torn in two. All of these are some pretty amazing events that transpired that would signal to us that these that there's something significant going on. And when Luke records these two signs, he records the final words of Jesus, and he simply says he breathed his last. A very sort of emotionless kind of statement, isn't it? And yet we feel the emotion, don't we? We feel the sorrow, we feel the anguish. We feel what it must have been like for Jesus. And we feel the appreciation for Jesus and His suffering on the cross. But what does this imply? What does this mean when Jesus says, Father, into Your hands I, have, I commit My Spirit? I think there are primarily two lessons that we can take away from this statement. And the first is, in, even in death, Jesus remembered His Father. You contrast that with the words that He had spoken a little while earlier, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? Jesus had felt forsaken, and in Matthew and Mark, they record those words of Jesus and that forsaken idea. That He felt as if He were alone, completely and totally alone. Luke doesn't record those words, though. And I find that fascinating, that Luke does not record that statement of Jesus. In fact, what Luke does is he points us to the fact that Jesus did not quit thinking about His God and His Father. In fact, he quotes from another psalm, while the statement, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me is a quotation from Psalm 22. Here in Luke, what Jesus says, and it's a quotation from Psalm 31 in verse 5, into your hand I commit my spirit. You have ransomed me, O Lord, God of truth. Jesus is still focused on His Father and the, Father and the Father's mission that He was sent here to do. What is interesting, whenever you compare the statement in Luke 23 and verse 46 with Psalm 31 and verse 5, Jesus retains that the phrase, I commit my spirit and, and that idea there. He adds the word though, Father, because He is making this into a prayer. He is addressing His Father in heaven. And He is praying the psalm. He is talking to His Father. 
He has not forgotten God. And if Matthew and Mark are emphasizing the turmoil and the pain and the anguish that Jesus was undergoing, some of the psychological issues that Jesus must have been enduring, Luke is emphasizing the oneness Jesus has with the Father even at the crucifixion. One author said, Luke is not saying this, but he is not denying this inside either. He is stressing that in the terrible death he died paradoxically, Jesus was at one with the Father. He was doing the will of the Father. Which is exactly how Jesus lived his entire life, isn't it? From very early on in the Gospel of Luke, after we are given the birth account of Jesus, in Luke chapter 2, at the end of that chapter, you'll remember he is the young age of 12 years old. And you'll remember that his parents, as every good parent will do from time to time, forget their children <laughs> and leave them somewhere. And in Luke chapter 2, Mary and Joseph, they left Jesus in Jerusalem. And after they go on this frantic search, you can only imagine what Mary must have been thinking after she finds her son. He is there where every 12-year-old would be, talking to the elders and the scribes, and they're talking about the law. <laughs> He's asking questions. And Mary is wondering about all of this. And in Luke chapter 2 and verse 49, He said to them, Why is it that you were looking for Me? Did you not know that I had to be in My Father's house? Or that I must be about My Father's business, some translations would say. Jesus had made His very life, even at the age of 12 years old, to be about doing the will of the Father. And in His pain, in His suffering, in His humiliation, Jesus is not ashamed to talk to His Father. He's not deterred from praying and speaking with God. Because His whole life had been revolving around His mission to serve God, to be about His Father's business, to go into His Father's house. And something that Jesus tries to teach His disciples, and I think it's something that Jesus understood very clearly about prayer and the significance and the power of prayer. In Luke chapter 11, when Jesus is teaching His disciples how to pray, He goes beyond that and He says in verse 9, in Luke chapter 11 and in verse 9, He says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Now suppose one of you, fathers, is asked by his son for a fish. You will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he asks for an egg, you will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? What well, Jesus recognizes that God, there's a principle about God that, and even just fathers, if, you're, if your son needs something from you, you're not going to do something that would harm him. You're not going to do something that would hurt him. 
And Jesus says, that's even greater when we're talking about our Heavenly Father. That our Heavenly Father, He is going to help us in our time of need. Jesus believed in that principle. If we don't believe in that principle, then why do we even pray? I think that's what Jesus is trying to get us to see. That, God, that Jesus always trusted in God's gracious response and that God was always listening to His prayers. And I love the times when Luke records for us there's some just small glimpses into the life of Jesus, but they are so impactful and so meaningful. In Luke chapter 6 and in verse 12, just before Jesus is calling His disciples, the twelve that would follow Him and become the apostles, it says in Luke chapter 6 and verse 12, it was at this time He went off to the mountain to pray and He spent the whole night in prayer to God. How many times do we spend the whole night in prayer before we make a decision? Jesus is about to call the twelve that would be His apostles. He had some decisions that He was going to make. And that selection. When we have a big decision about a job promotion, or whenever we have a decision about where we're going to worship or where we're going to live, do we consider what God wants? That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. He spent the night in prayer to God. And that's how He lived His life. And so it is no surprise that whenever we come to the cross in His most desperate hour, Jesus prays, Father, into Your hands I commit My Spirit. If you turn back to Psalm 31, in Psalm 31 where this statement is originally drawn from, this psalm is a psalm of hope and deliverance by God. In Psalm 31 and in verse 1, if you would notice there that what David writes in verse 1, In You, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be ashamed. In Your righteousness, deliver me. He's saying, I am giving my life into Your hands. I am giving You Myself because I take refuge in You. There is safety with You. In verse 2, Incline Your ear to Me. Rescue Me quickly. Be to me a rock of strength, a stronghold to save me. In verse 5, Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have ransomed me, O Lord, God of truth. In verse 7, I will rejoice and be glad in your loving kindness because you have seen my affliction. You have known the troubles of my soul. And is that not what Jesus was feeling? Is that not what Jesus was enduring? He, his soul was troubled. Continuing on into verse 14, 
The psalm says, But as for, as for me, I trust in You, O Lord. I say, You are my God. Jesus is not deterred. Even in suffering and the humiliation, the pain, the anguish, the mocking, when they were saying, come down from the cross, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, then you can save yourself and we'll believe in you. Jesus did not. He said, I trust in God. Towards the end of the psalm in verse 24, the very last verse, be strong and let your heart take courage. All you who hope in the Lord. What a beautiful psalm that Jesus is recollecting while He's on the cross. A song of victory. A song of hope. A song of deliverance. A song that would give Him courage just before He dies. It's a beautiful thought. In Jesus' death, He did not forget His Father. Instead, He buckles down and He commits Himself to His Father and lays down His life, putting His care into the hands of His Father. You think about our life. You think about how fragile life is. We may never be persecuted. We may never be killed for our faith, or die in the same way that many believers in the first century did. But can you think of a more noble way to die than to utter words of faith and courage and hope and deliverance? Father, into Your hands I commit My Spirit. where you are entrusting a Father in heaven with your very life, with your very soul. I would suggest to you that we can die in the very same way that Jesus did. Committing ourselves to God. Remembering the goodness of God and the hope that God gives to us. That's what Jesus is reflecting on. He's thinking about hope. Encourage in the face of death. And even in death, Jesus becomes our example. And so, the first lesson I think that we can draw is that Jesus remembered His Father and committed His life and His soul to the God in heaven. But a second thing that we see is that in death, Jesus demonstrates His he says, into your hands I commit my spirit. What does it mean to commit one's spirit into the hands of God? Have you ever wondered that? I believe the Apostle Peter gives us some inspired commentary on Jesus' statement in 1 Peter chapter 2. If you would turn over there with me, in 1 Peter chapter 2. In 1 Peter 2 and in verse 21, Peter writes, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in His steps, 
who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. You notice that statement? And he kept entrusting himself. That's the idea of what it is to commit one's spirit. If you look at some of the Greek dictionaries and the definitions for the word commit, you'll see that entrust is one of those definitions. In fact, the New American Standard Bible in the 2020 version that they have just recently released and the Christian Standard Bible and the New Living Translation, they all translate Luke 23, verse 46, Father, into Your hands I entrust my spirit. The word commit or entrust, it means to entrust for safe keeping, give over, entrust, commend. So, what does it mean that Jesus entrusted his very life, his very soul, his very existence and being into the hands of God? I think it's important for us to recognize Jesus trusted God. He lived with faith or trust in His heavenly Father. Notice with me in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 2. In Hebrews chapter 2, and in verse 13, the Hebrew writer, he takes several Old Testament quotations and passages and he kind of strings them together and he uses them in such a way that it's as if Jesus is saying them. He kind of places them in the mouth of Jesus. And what we see is, and He did this all under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and He says in verse 13, one of these statements, I will put my trust in Him. Jesus trusted God. He had faith in God. To trust or to entrust someone else with something, it's to be persuaded and convinced that they are going to handle it appropriately. Just the other day, I was made an order for food. I, I handed Dave my debit card. I entrusted him because I trust that he is going to use that rightfully. what Jesus is doing. He's saying, here is my life. My Father, I trust You completely and entirely. He died with the full assurance of faith. He died recognizing His Father's goodness to hear His prayer. He trusted that God would hear that prayer. And sometimes I know it seems odd for us to think that Jesus had faith. Jesus prayed. He had faith. James, I love the statement in James chapter 5. In James, the fifth chapter, and in verse 15, there's a statement that describes the kind of faith that we have. He says, And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. There's faith 
that needs to be mixed and accompanied with our prayers. I believe that's so true for Jesus. And Him being God in the flesh. There were certain limitations that He took on. He had to walk by faith and not by sight. And here in the final moments of His life, He utters words to God. I entrust you with my spirit. Jesus is trusting that God is going to judge, judge righteously. He has faith in God acknowledging Jesus' death as the transformative power to forgive sins and to make the unrighteous right before God. He entrusted God with all of these things. I believe what is also incredibly important to see is that as Jesus yields His life, and as you accompany that with Psalm 31, a psalm of hope, a psalm of victory, a psalm of deliverance, that Jesus had faith that God would vindicate Him. That He would see His death and see that He was undeserving of it. Seeing that He had not sinned, that He had overcome sin and temptation. And that Jesus, if there was someone who did not deserve to die, it was Him. And He's entrusting His Father to see that and to vindicate Him through resurrection. There's one commentator, his name is Joel, and his middle initial B. Green. I like that. Joel B. Green. But what he says is employing this psalm, Jesus manifests his own faith in the sovereign God whom he believes will rescue him from the hands of his enemies. In light of the coupling of death and resurrection in Jesus' passion predictions, and he cites some verses. He says, we may hear in Jesus' prayer His faith in the God who raises from the dead. Because what you have throughout Jesus' life before He goes to Jerusalem to even be killed in Luke chapter 9. In Luke chapter 9 and in verse 22, notice what Jesus says to His apostles. He says, saying the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Have you ever noticed that before? Jesus knew that He needed to go to Jerusalem to be killed, but He also knew God's promise of resurrection. And he's telling his apostles about it. They should have had better faith, shouldn't they? You go on in chapter 18 of the Gospel of Luke. In Luke chapter 18, and in verses 31 through 33, notice here 
Jesus is speaking again with the twelve, and He says, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished, for He will be handed over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and mistreated and spit upon. And after they have scourged Him, they will kill Him. And the third day He will rise again. I submit to you, that is what Jesus is entrusting God to do. Just before He yields up His life and gives up the ghost, He's asking God, and He's saying to God, I'm giving you my life. I am entrusting you now to do what you have promised you would do. That is, raise me from the dead. What faith that is. What trust that is. And you think of a better way for you and I to die? Just a few weeks ago in our Gospel meeting, we heard a lesson on the resurrection, the bodily resurrection. We have the same hope founded upon the resurrection of Jesus. If we face death, we can be strong and courageous, brave, filled with hope just as Jesus was. What we see is that Jesus in death, He, lived, he died in a consistent way with how He lived the rest of His life. Jesus died as He lived. Here He is, He's praying to His Father because what had Jesus always done? He had always prayed to God. That's what He did. And then He lived a life of faith focused on always doing the Father's will. That's how Jesus lived His life. That's also how He died. He did so in such a consistent manner. He became the perfect example for us. The seventh and final statement. Father, into Your hands I commit My Spirit. What I love is what follows immediately after. In Luke chapter 23 and verse 47, Now when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. The centurion could see it, couldn't he? He could see that Jesus was not deserving of death. Jesus, the innocent, perfect Lamb of God, gave His life and shed His blood for you and for me. 
As Peter would write in his epistle, Jesus died so that we might die to sin and live unto righteousness. He, the just one, died for the unjust. Jesus gave up His life. And He died praying and trusting in God because of our sins. Because of what we have done that's wrong. If you have never given your life to Christ, we want you to think about that this morning. We want you to come in faith, believing in God, believing in Jesus as the sacrifice for sins. Believe in Him. Repent of your sins. Be washed in the blood of the Lamb to have your sins forgiven and removed, to be cleansed, to be made white as snow. Do not let Jesus' death be in vain because of your refusal to obey Him. And if you're here this morning and you've not been living the life of a faithful disciple and child of God, you've abandoned the Lord, you've abandoned His people, you've turned away from righteousness to a life of sin, will you not give those things up? Give up that sin. Come back to God. Come back to your Lord and Master who gave His life for you. Come back to the people of God. Because we love you. We want to encourage you. We want to help you reach that eternal home in heaven. If you need to make corrections of your life, or if you need to become a Christian, would you do so now as we stand as we sing?